Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. You know that moment when uh, it's been an incredibly long winter and you see the first little bulbs and buds of spring coming up? You know what I'm talking about? No, you're all, you're, you're all asleep, but um, it's a thing. It happens. And uh, I, I just was feeling like that sitting up here. I mean, I hear this wall of sound and singing and praise and worship that doesn't seem like we've had the opportunity to hear for a long, long time. And it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing to be together worshiping the Lord. There's nothing like corporate worship. What a privilege it is. Amen? Yeah, so we're going to continue that. Uh, in the Word this morning, I would encourage you to open in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 23. I don't know if you've ever heard of that one, uh, but we're going to look at it this morning, Psalm 23, and uh, I will read it out loud as you follow along in your copy of God's Word. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Uh, I always think at this point of the year, just the start of summer, that we, we uh, at the end of June, we start on the downhill to Christmas. I, I love Christmas, so I'm always thinking of Christmas, and, and uh, in about two weeks' time, we're going to be closer to next Christmas than we are to last Christmas. And uh, one of the things that I do every Christmas season, every holiday season, it's kind of a tradition for me, is that I bake bread. And it's a family recipe, kind of a secret family recipe that's been handed down to me over five generations, and uh, many of the ingredients are exactly what you would think they would be, right? Flour, sugar, eggs, milk, those kinds of things. The kind of ingredient you could walk into any grocery store and find without too much hesitation. In fact, uh, they would be in very predictable sections, like the dairy section or, uh, or, or the baking section. There is, though, this one ingredient... This one ingredient that I have to go on a little bit of a scavenger hunt every year to find. Uh, it's kind of a, a, an odd one. And so uh, I walk into the store. Now, some of you are going to judge me for this, and I don't really care, okay? I walk into the store, and I know I don't know where it is. It's hiding somewhere. It moves around every year. And so I just go, and I ask the clerk, I say, I say, can you help me find the citron? I don't know where it is. And they walk me over and they help me to find it. 
Now, some of you think to yourselves, why wouldn't you just walk in with all the confidence in the world and do a tour of every aisle until you found the citron? You conquered the grocery store. And I say, I I just, I don't know, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. I don't know. (laughs) Self-sufficiency is, in our culture especially, Sometimes this great source of pride. I can do it. It's an end goal to be desired. Um, in our careers, we work really hard, we save up really diligently so that we can retire and be self-sufficient. Parents, we uh, raise our kids so that they can be adults and go out on their own and live in their own place and pay their own bills. Self-sufficiency. Teachers uh, are working with their students to be um, uh, uh, um, advocating for themselves so that when they get out of school and they go into the workplace or they go to college, they can navigate um, some of the challenges of life more su- successfully on their own. We even have this modern, popular proverb that speaks to this. I think you're going to be aware of it. It says this, self-sufficiency. Give a man a fish and you feed him for a day. But teach a man to fish and... See, you all know it, right? Self-sufficiency is a value. And I think it's maybe especially where we live, self-sufficiency is we take pride in that and it leaches into every area of our life, including our spiritual lives. And maybe maybe you think this way about your faith. Uh, I, I love the blessings and the promises of salvation and I find those things appealing. And so uh, as a Christian, what I do is I work hard to gain all of salvation's benefits. I make sure that I don't lack any of them. Um, uh, dependence on Jesus is fine for that initial salvation. I know I can't do that. I can't die on the cross. I can't rise again. But... Uh, For everything else along the way, I'm just going to work really hard for it. We may never say it that way, but inside we, we think that way. Because after all, if I place myself in dependence on Jesus, He might get a say in my life. He might interfere with my plans. And you may be one of those people, and you may want to know, how can I acknowledge Jesus appropriately, but not necessarily be in his debt. But I would submit to you this morning that the Christian life is not, by definition, a work of self-sufficiency. This morning we come to Psalm 23. You're familiar with it, probably. And it teaches us this, that the shepherd leads his people to himself where they find everything that they desperately need. Let me make a statement here. and You tell me whether or not you agree with it. Just in your mind. Without Jesus, you are in danger. Do you believe that? Without Jesus, you are in danger. Without Jesus, you are hopeless. Without Jesus, you are helpless. Do you believe that? Do you really believe it or do you just kind of believe it? 
Do you believe that Jesus brings you faith, but there are added benefits that you can, uh, you can gain on your own? And even if you didn't have Jesus, mostly your life would still be the same. Here we are in Psalm 23 this morning. It's, it's a challenge because it is one of the most popular, uh, mo- most well-known, most famous passages in all of Scripture. Uh, maybe just next to John 3.16. You probably maybe memorized it as a child or growing up. And I'm going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles and follow along with me so that uh, the Word of God will speak to you and we can see how the Holy Spirit inspired David to write this down. Without the shepherd, the sheep are in peril. They're in danger of overwork, exhaustion, discouragement, death, and defeat. But the good shepherd leads us to health and wholeness and happiness. In fact, this morning we're going to see three things. The good shepherd leads us to restoration. The good shepherd leads us to safety. And the good shepherd leads us to victory. Follow along with me. The opening refrain is very familiar to you of this song. David writes these words, The Lord is my shepherd. Now look immediately, David uses a particular word for Lord, and you're going to have to even look at the typeface in your Bible. It's capital O, capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D with those little capital letters there. That's how you're, it's probably written in your Bible. And when you see that word written in that way, we are reminded that David is not just calling on God generically, but he's calling on the covenant name of God, Yahweh. He's calling out to the God who made promises to his people, the nation of Israel. And it's on these promises over the centuries that David is uh, depending as he asks for God God's favor. The Lord is my shepherd, he says, I shall not want. You see, what, what David recognizes is that everything he needs, everything he wants, it can only be found in God. And David goes on to explain that there are things that shepherds bring to their sheep. <clears throat> and he, he does it poetically. We're, we, we've been in the Psalms for a couple of week and weeks and there's a poetic way of saying things. And he's repeating and building on the Lord's blessing with every line. This is how he says it. He makes me lie down in green pastures, verse 2. He leads me beside still waters. And I wonder if you're like me. We live in a beautiful area of the world. And when you hear those words, you might imagine yourself uh, on the Rogue River, right? It's a sunny and cool day. um, And a certain calm comes over you. You're sitting in that lush green grass and the only noise that you hear is the quiet current of the river running by. Seems ideal. But but I would argue that what David is saying is something more than that. Now it may be that pastoral scene of calm, but it's something more than that. Remember, if God is the shepherd as David has proclaimed, then David places himself as the sheep. And the green pastures and the still waters are not just a scene of beauty and peace and serenity, but they're a scene of, uh, of, of the sheep's survival. The sheep is hungry. The sheep is thirsty. And without food and water, uh, perhaps death may be imminent. He needs those things. Those things are uh, at the core of his 
survival. So this isn't just a moment of rest and respite. These things are necessities. And then he, he, he follows it up and he makes this statement. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Verse 3, He restores my soul. And so the shepherd has come and he's restored the very soul of his sheep by giving him what he needs. He not only gives him what he wants, but he gives him what he needs and he meets every desire of the heart of the sheep. And then there's something surprising, I think, because we've followed along with this scene and we've imagined it in our minds, but now in this surprising twist, David explains that this restoration that the Lord brings is is not just that scene of meadows and rivers. It is instead along the paths of righteousness. Look at it in verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness. So here is the Lord, the covenant God of Israel, the creator of the universe, and He's leading His sheep. And for the sheep, restoration comes in following the shepherd in obedience, being near to Him, trusting Him to plot the course for our lives. After all, He doesn't just lead me in paths of righteousness. Look at it. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. You see, God's reputation is on the line here. His name equals His reputation. And so, our restoration comes as we draw near to Him in obedience, in righteousness, and then we reflect His character represented by His name. And so that people see in us our relationship and our connection to the covenant God of the universe. I think people want to experience this restoration. Um, if, if the people you know are anything like the people I know, they're leading these busy, chaotic, hectic lives. And they long for peace and rest. And they probably are looking for that restoration all around them. Because all around them there are other people who are promising them the secret to health and happiness and wholeness. And sometimes they, they, they say something like, well, I've got, uh, if you focus on diet and fitness, you're going to find that. You're going to be happy. You, you join the right gym, you drop your excess weight, you get yourself on the right diet, you start to uh, pursue health, you're going to find happiness if you tune your body up. And others focus on money and significance or education or Uh, Just pursuing pleasure, the things that we love to do. People choose one of these things because what they believe is that it not only promises them a, a good and exciting life, their best life, but it also offers them a bit of respite and a bit of restoration from the rest of life which is chaotic and hectic. And and to be sure, none of these things are necessarily bad in and of themselves. Some even offer that temporary fulfillment and satisfaction. But all of them fall short of the restoration that the shepherd offers. I think there's another approach to this restoration. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me besides 
quiet waters and he, leads, he lays me down in green pastures. He restores my soul. People think to themselves, there is a spiritual solution to this. People look to experience the presence of God emotionally. I, I want to I, I I know God and I want to know His presence. And I think this psalm is all about knowing the presence of God. But they, but they ignore the plan that is in Psalm 23. In the psalm, David describes that the presence of God comes to us fully when we obey the commands of God. When we do that, we're going to experience His presence in a profound way. And I think David is helping us to understand that this restoration and rest our wants and our needs are met by walking these paths of righteousness by the power of the shepherd. He's the one who leads us for his fame, for his honor, and for his name. We find that fulfillment in bringing recognition and glory to him. And these other things, power and influence and money and spiritual experiences are not going to ultimately fill us. He is the ultimate prize. The shepherd. And as we draw near to Him in obedience, um, sometimes what He does is He reshapes our desires. He reshapes our wants so that when we say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's not because He's given us everything we think we want. It's because He's radically reshaped the things we want. I was thinking of that picture, and it's kind of a cliche picture. It's the mother duck, uh, and following behind her is all of her ducklings. It's kind of something you see all over the place. I'm not really sure. Don't come and tell me afterwards if this is true, but I'm not really sure that any other animal does it like that. All of you guys know more about animals than I do, but that's not the point. But you, you know that picture of the duck, the mama duck, followed by her ducklings in this line. And it, it, you just kind of go, oh, that's an interesting thing. Why, why do they do that? M- Mama knows where the food is. Mama knows where the water is. Mama knows where the danger is and where the safety is. It is the instinct of the ducklings to follow the mother duck so that they can so that they can experience what's best for them. So that they can be in line with Mama. And if you and I want to experience rest and restoration as it's promised in the psalm, we need to find ourselves in line with Jesus, in His presence, walking the paths of righteousness. That's a wonderful promise. But of course, we say to ourselves, well, life even the Christian life, is not one continuous experience of restoration and rest. And when we come to Jesus and we think He's just going to solve all of our problems um, and bring us health and blessing and, and that's all that there is to life, we're going to be disappointed. And I think that's why in the next stanza, the psalmist turns his attention uh, to, uh, from the meadows of lush green grass and still waters to the dark valleys filled with danger. David wants us to know 
that how the shepherd guides us through these difficult times is just as important as how he leads us towards restoration. We see this, that the good shepherd leads us to safety. So after these first three verses, we might say to ourselves, well, that would be nice, but you know, my life is just a little bit more complicated than that. Look, David knows this. He's lived a life that is complicated, right? If we think about his history. And he acknowledges the difficult times that are going to come. So look at verse 4. He finds himself in the valley of the shadow of death, he says. Another translation of that phrase, maybe you would find it in the notes in your Bible, is the valley of deep darkness. And it's appropriate, and we often read this psalm at the bedside of loved ones facing that valley of the shadow of death, but it, it goes beyond that too. The promise is uh, for more than just the moment where we pass from this life to the next. It's for any incidents of doubt and darkness. Whether that's relational pain or financial ruin or uh, circumstances that come and, and, and knock you off of your, uh, of your, of your planned course. Life is full of these valleys. It may seem to you this morning in your experience that really this is, life is just one of these valleys after another. It's just a series continually. I just keep getting hit over and over and over. I'm always in the valley of deep darkness. But look at what the psalmist says. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, or the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. Never fear. Difficult circumstances don't have to overwhelm us. David's proclamation, I will fear no evil, even though there is uh, uh, hopelessness around him, there's dreariness around him, it's not some kind of flippant proclamation. Okay, well, no, no big deal. No big deal. We almost might think to ourselves, um, so, some people, you know, the kind of people who like horror movies and scary things, they might think to themselves, okay, when evil, when darkness comes my way, I, I can prepare myself to face those things. I don't think David is acting with that self-determination here. He's not thinking to himself, well, darkness and danger, they're going to heighten my senses and keep me on my toes they're going to ready me to, 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 to react to whatever comes my way. I may be scared, but I can do this. Even though when we first read that first line, that, that may be the sense. Even though I walk through the valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. Because look, in his song, David explains the reason that he's able to escape fear it's not in his own strength, but in the presence of the shepherd. Next line, verse 4. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So once again, David declares that the presence of God makes all the difference. It makes all the difference uh, in the green meadows. It makes all the difference in the valley of deep darkness, in these difficult circumstances. David doesn't escape fear because he can see the way through it. David doesn't escape fear because he's promised better times and positive outcomes. David doesn't escape fear because he knows he can overpower the forces of evil. 
and neither should we. David is able to set aside fear because he knows the presence of the one who is the all-powerful creator of the universe. And so should we. It's not just that, by the way. Look at the next phrase. Look at what David says the shepherd uses to comfort him. I will not fear, for you are with me. And then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And the shepherd uses, if you're not familiar with those two different things, as I understand it, the shepherd uses a rod to protect the sheep. So that makes sense, right? You're in the valley of deep darkness. There's danger lurking around, perhaps uh, 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 things coming to attack or something of that nature. And the shepherd uses the rod to ward off the predators. Similar to what we may experience in our lives. That may be similar to when uh, uh, danger and difficult times and evil comes from the outside in. I wonder how you react when that is the case for you. When, when danger and evil and uh, difficulty attack like a predator without warning. I think there's a lot of people, even people who claim the name of Christ, who blame God or they're angry with Him. They, they say something like this, God either isn't kind as He proclaims to be, or God isn't powerful enough to stop this evil. Perhaps it's a loved one die, dying in a tragic accident before the prime of their life, and people question God's goodness. How could you allow that to happen? Maybe a person loses their job because of a a false accusation, or they find out their spouse has been unfaithful to them. And I wonder, in that moment where evil seems to come in from the outside through no fault of your own, if you take comfort in the protecting presence of the shepherd. Do you trust the goodness of his plan even when things sort of seem to be falling down all around you? We, we can. We should. We will fear no evil, for He is with us. Now David says, your rod comforts me, warding off evil and predators and so on. But he also says, your staff comforts me. This is a little more surprising to us. The, the staff is what the shepherd would have used to correct his sheep. Sometimes gently, but sometimes a little more firmly. And that staff may bring an initial pain even to the sheep that the shepherd is protecting, but the shepherd uses it for the good of the sheep ultimately. So I wonder this, do you find comfort in correction? Um, you may feel the walls closing in because of the consequences of your sin, and I wonder if you would welcome the correction of a faithful friend who simply says, what are you doing? You need, to, you need to turn around, turn from your sin. You need to repent. And I wonder if that correction feels like betrayal or if it feels like a comforting uh, action of the shepherd. When you come to church and you hear preaching that is a little bit more pointed than you might like, you say, oh, well, that preacher, he's just, uh, you know, he's just meddling in my business. Or do you say, thank you, Lord, for using your word to correct me? Because that correction is ultimately going to comfort me. 
I think difficult circumstances, this valley of deep darkness, point us to the brokenness of this world. I think those ideal situations, even though we long for them, even though they're promised to us in the lush meadows and the still waters, are, um, uh, are, are less common than uh, we would like because sin has corrupted human beings. Sin has corrupted this world. We know that death and darkness and despair and evil are the enemies, but we know that the shepherd conquered death. And he's given us the possibility of new life. We need to acknowledge the real pain that comes in people's life, that comes into our life, and we need to look deeper. Uh, we need to look for a deeper and more eternal comfort in God's presence. Remember, I will not fear. Why? Because you're with me. I, I think of a, a, a famous quotation uh, made by that modern-day philosopher Mike Tyson. Remember him? Dominant heavyweight boxer of the 90s. He said this, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Um, if your faith is just a statement rather than a lived reality, if you don't cultivate a relationship with the shepherd that is going to secure you through difficult times in life, you are going to get tossed to and fro by your feelings and your emotional reaction to circumstances. You see, if God is good, He is good even in the face of difficult times. And, and I would just challenge you, don't wait until the tough times come to formulate your theology about who God is or it's going to be built on shifting sands rather than the firm foundation of what God says about Himself. Now, life is neither all good, nor is it all bad. It's, it's much more complex than that. And sometimes in Scripture, we encounter stories and themes that challenge, challenge what we experience in real life. Let me give you an example. The Proverbs point to the success that people seem to that, that, that the people of God seem to be guaranteed if they follow Him, if they obey Him. The book of Job, on the other hand, paints this picture of a dismal existence that you and I hope that we will never encounter. And I think the answer is that we are pointed to not this world where we experience some of those ups and downs and confusing things, but we are pointed to the next life in which God's blessings are fully realized. And I think as David finishes his song, he turns his attention to that truth. He says that the good shepherd leads us to victory. Look at verses 5 and 6. And we might be tempted to think that David is done with the meadows and the fields and the sheep metaphor. And that he's now moved us to the banqueting hall. But I'm not so sure. I think that he might still be in the fields. He started in the fields and I think he's ending in the fields. This is what it says in verse 5. The shepherd is providing for the needs of his sheep. He's preparing a table before them, David says. Now the table may be a makeshift table in the midst of a meadow, but it is the provision of the Lord. He's aware of the enemies that exist, 
Maybe they're predators or poisonous things that the sheep could eat. And he's ready to protect the sheep from these dangers. And not only is he protecting the sheep like he was in the valley of deep darkness, but look at the shepherd tenderly caring for them as well. He says, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And right here, this, this seems to be a picture where uh, the shepherd takes oil, probably olive oil that was abundantly available in the ancient Israel at the time, and still is. He takes oil, olive oil, and he applies it as a medication to treat the wounds and the scrapes that the sheep has incurred in the wild. That cup is a source of refreshment available from the hand of the shepherd at the end of a long day. It's an answer to exhaustion and dehydration that the sheep may be experiencing. Once again, the shepherd is tender and the shepherd is near. The shepherd's presence is the key. To be with the shepherd for the sheep is to be safe and to be cared for. And then he shifts the focus to the future. Verse 6. This ultimate declaration of victory. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life because I'm with the shepherd. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now just as David started the psalm with the name of the Lord, that covenant name Yahweh, he ends with the covenant name of the Lord. Look at it, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So he's promising now the goodness and the mercy of God. All of those promises from God to His people come to bear. They are the people of God. They will experience victory. They are special and unique and so are we as God's people. By the way, I can prove it to you. Look at the words, surely goodness and mercy. And that word mercy right there is a word that is used in the Old Testament as God establishes the covenant with His people. It's that word that we've mentioned here before, hesed. It's God's loving kindness, and every time it's mentioned, it's meant to invoke and evoke covenant promises. Not only is His covenant name there, but His covenant promises are represented. And the ultimate covenant promise for the people of Israel, for the people of God, is that you will dwell in a land that I will give you. And here the psalmist says, you will dwell in the house of the Lord. My house, my land, our ultimate victory is found as God fulfills His promises and gives us His presence for all eternity. Because we don't just dwell in the land, right? We don't just dwell in the house of the Lord. Look at it. He's there. It's the house of the Lord. And we're going to dwell there forever. And maybe as we walk through the stanzas of the song, you think to yourself, well, I really need restoration and rest. I liked verses 1-3. through three. I'm experiencing lots of difficulty along the way, so I really can, can uh, understand what David is saying in verse 4. But victory? I mean, that's not the way that my life has turned out. It's, a, it's, it's different, it's disappointing, whatever. And sometimes when we read the Psalms, and Pete's been there for a couple of weeks, we'll be there for a couple of weeks more, we experience this, this weird thing where we go, well, that's, a, 
The psalm writer, he's expressing things differently than I would. But note as we go through the songs and the psalms, uh, they're also very, very honest with the Lord. The writers, in fact, they're brutally honest. They, they point to the brokenness of the world. They complain about things that don't seem to be fair. But it seems like the Psalms are written so that they almost always come around and at the end they declare the goodness of God. Even as the songwriter acknowledges the brokenness of the world, he comes back and he says, but, but God, you are my God. I will praise you. I will, you're my fortress. You're my rock. You're my salvation. He always ends at that point. They may express feelings of defeat and despair, but in the end, God assures that future victory. And the Psalms encourage us to live in light of that. And I wonder if you've ever been sitting in church and we've been singing a song and you've thought to yourself, I don't know about that one. The words that are written up there are not the words, and maybe even the words that are coming out of my mouth because that's what you do when you sit in church. They're not the words that I really feel on the inside. Maybe we're singing something like, you're a good, good father. I know you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And I feel loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. You may be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not really sure if God's a good God. I'm not really sure that I'm loved. I certainly don't feel like that. And I think for us, it is even important in that moment that we declare those truths. And I think that's a humongous lesson from the Psalms is that I, I imagine that when David is walking through the valley of deep darkness, he does not feel any lack of fear. But he proclaims a lack of fear because God is with him. He pursues God's presence and knows that the reward of that is a lack of fear. And it's important that we hold fast to the truths of Scripture, even and especially when we don't feel them. God is good, He does love me, He is powerful. He is just. He will set everything right that is wrong in the world. That's the power and the promise of Scripture. That's the power and pattern of the Psalms. That is the power and the pattern of Psalm 23. David is speaking about this ultimate reality. It's not wishful thinking. David is not a hopeless optimist. But he is declaring what he knows to be eternally true. I think the Psalms are valuable to us. Psalm 23 is valuable to us because it's honest and yet it's intensely committed to the goodness of God, to the presence of God for His people. Think about, think about reading a book. You pick up a book and you start to read it. And if it's a good story, it's going to invite you into the lives of the characters. And as you're reading along, it's going to take you on this emotional journey and you, uh, you live with the victories and the defeats of, uh, of, the, of the, the people in the story. You, you might even wonder yourself, well, I wonder if they're going to survive at the end of the story. I wonder if they're going to make it. I wonder if they're going to find success in what they're looking for. 
And if you're like me, you may be tempted once in a while to flip over as you're in the middle of the book and flip to that last page, those last couple of pages. I just need to see the resolution here. But you resist because you want to live the story as you go through it. Maybe you find that. Maybe you do that. You don't want to spoil the ending so you can experience that story. I'm going to tell you this right now. As we read the Bible, as we open the Bible, we are meant to flip to the last page. We are meant to understand and see how the story ends and then to interpret the rest of the events of life and Scripture in light of God's final victory. David is, is calling out in desperation to the covenant God, the Lord, for his hope. God is the shepherd that David sings about in this psalm. But think of one of the sons of David, Jesus. I imagine he knew this psalm. I I, I imagine it was familiar to him. And I, I wonder to myself if when Jesus taught, he was thinking of this psalm as he identifies himself as the good shepherd, John chapter 10. Jesus says that as the good shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep, He says that his sheep know his voice, right? And they follow him. He says that his sheep are completely safe within his care. And then as Jesus goes to heaven in the ascension in these last days, the church is who takes up the shepherding role and the shepherding work for Jesus until he returns. Feeding the flock through preaching and teaching protecting the flock from wolves, binding up the brokenhearted, providing a place of rest and respite, declaring victory in Jesus in the presence of the enemies that surround us. I would say this morning that if we're to experience restoration and safety and victory, we have to be wholly dependent on the presence of the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd is for us. The Good Shepherd is is looking to protect us and provide us with what we need. The Good Shepherd will be victorious. He has been victorious and He will be victorious. And we are invited through faith to live forever in His presence because we desperately need Him. Let's pray. God, we ask You this morning. We come to You in recognition that any reliance on ourselves is is futile. will end in ruin. And so God, number one, show us Yourself. And number two, help us to strip away all of that self-sufficiency and look to You. Father, I pray that as we do that, that we would proclaim with David these truths about the shepherd and that we would live in a way that is um, unique and winsome to those who are around us and who are watching. Father, as we come to the table for communion right now, we pray that You would again remind us of the of the care that You've taken for us as, you, as Your body was broken and Your blood was shed. We thank You for, 
Thank you for that, and we ask that in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.